In uh, 1776, there was a war going on in the United States. It was a war for independence. And uh, at the end of the year of 1776, it wasn't looking too good for the colonial army. Uh, They were very outmatched by the British in a number of different ways. Uh, The British were were very well trained. Uh, Most uh, of the colony army really had never been a part of an army before. All right, and so they hadn't had time to develop uh, their skills. Uh, the British had a lot of experience. All right? Most of the colonial army, again, had never shot at a person, maybe uh, firing weapons at, at deer and stuff, all right, going hunting, but not at people. And so uh, the British were very much uh, better than they were. And the British had money, and so they had hired out some German mercenaries to come over uh, and to help uh, wage war, and the colonial army just kind of didn't have the money. And so there was a number of ways that the uh, colonial army was being defeated, and they were outmatched. Uh, well, in a little town of Trenton, New Jersey, uh, the German mercenaries who were in uh, the area had decided to bunker in this town uh, for the winter. And so they had come, and they had kind of set up posts there, and George Washington had decided to try to put a spy in the town. The name of the spy was John Honeyman. Uh, he, was a, he had fought in the French and Indian War uh, with the British, and so uh, he kind of uh, pretended to be a British supporting Tory. And because he knew some of the generals that he had fought alongside with a number of years before, uh, they accepted him. And so he kind of went around the town of Trenton telling the Germans that, hey, you know what? The colonial army, they're in disarray. They're, they've been defeated over and over again. They're, they're just, they have low spirits. There's no way that they're going to attack you before spring. And the Germans believed it. All right, the Germans ended up not sending out patrols. They ended up not building outposts. Uh, they just kind of relaxed for the winter because they didn't think anything was going to happen. Well, on December 26th of that year, uh, in a I'm sure you've all seen this painting, right? George Washington standing on a boat crossing the icy Delaware River. And he does this in the middle of the night, all right? And, and they arrive on the shores just as day is breaking, and the Germans were completely unaware. They didn't have their, their sentries out. Uh, they kind of were taken off guard. And this smaller force defeated a superior force, well-trained force, uh, with not much resistance, And this was a pivotal moment in the history of the revolution. This kind of changed everything. Other other countries were thinking the war was going to be over really soon because the Americans had not won any battles, and this one changed everybody's opinions. Uh, The soldiers of the colonial army, they decided to re-enlist. They got more people to support the cause because of this battle. Congress decided to keep on fighting rather than surrendering. And so they changed everything. And the reason why it was successful was because of John Honeyman. Had John Honeyman not been there giving misinformation, who knows what would have happened. Information is important in our lives. It changes things. And having the right information is vital. Uh, In uh, uh, 1998, NASA uh, built what that was called the Mars Orbiter or Climate Orbiter, and so it was supposed to go up to Mars uh, and kind of it was a satellite type thing, and it kind of was supposed to orbit around Mars and kind of 
determine what the weather was like, how it affected the, the, the atmosphere and the ground. Okay, I forget what that's actually called. I was supposed to kind of watch Mars and see how the weather affected everything. And so they had spent a lot of money on this, over $327 million on this orbiter. And they launched it up, and it went all the way to Mars. And on September 23rd, 1999, it started to orbit around Mars for 23 minutes. And then it crashed. And they lost contact, and they decided, I, we don't know what happened. And so they did a month-long investigation, and here's what they found out. Uh, there was a piece of software provided by a different company that was given to their computer system, the ground software. And it was designed to give United States standard uh, distances, right? So feet, inches, yards, that type of stuff, miles, okay? All right, but the satellite, the orbiter, was designed in metric, and so anytime that the ground system said, you know what, you need to adjust by three feet or three yards, they would send it up there, th- adjust by three units, and it would be adjusting by meters, not yards. And so it wasn't adjusting correctly. And so what ended up happening is in the miscommunication and the misinformation given, this orbiter came into a bad s- orbit around Mars and it crashed. What makes it worse is that there were two technicians who noticed the discrepancy. They said, every time we do this, it's not fixing it up there. And the superior said, oh no, you're, you're just imagining stuff. Right? Having misinformation causes issues, right? It causes time, $327 million. It's a lot of money. Right? A lot of time spent on send, building the orbiter and sending it up there. Right? There's a lot of things that if we don't have the right information, it causes issues. And when it comes to giving the gospel message to the world, it's vital that we have the right message, the right information. There are times in this world where people have come and they've presented the gospel to people and they've done it in a very bad way and it causes problems. It causes issues. It causes people not coming and being connected to God. And so what we want to kind of do is, is look at the book of Galatians uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, because the book of Galatians deals with this issue. There were some people who were coming into the towns of Galatia, and they were saying, uh, promoting a gospel that was a little bit different, close, but it was a little bit off, the misinformation, and it was causing issues with their relationship with God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Galatians chapter 1 today. Uh, That's kind of where we're going to uh, be at, uh, starting in verse uh, 6, I believe. And uh, Galatians is is considered one of the first books of the Bible, or New Testament, ever written. Paul uh, was a missionary. He went to the region of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he went from town to town in Galatia, establishing churches, uh, strengthening them up. He would be there for about six months or so, and then he would move on. And then before he returned home, he went back to each church and kind of gave them strength. And we think that while he was back home in Antioch, uh, that he heard about people that came after Paul and started presenting a, a gospel that was slightly different. Again, just a little bit different, but the misinformation was big enough that Paul writes this letter saying, you know what, they're wrong. 
Okay, and so that's kind of what we're going to read today is, is, is how uh, he goes about starting this conversation. So uh, he, he does a customary greeting. I'm Paul. You're the churches of Galatia. Here's, here's what I want to say to you is where we're going to kind of start off. So verses 6 through 7 uh, is the start of the body. It says this. I am astonished that you have so quickly you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Typically, in Paul's letters, he will start off with a thanksgiving, but in the book of Galatia, he doesn't. Right, he's writing this letter. He has nothing to be thankful for. He just jumps right into the problem. And, and this problem uh, is that they are deserting God. Right, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly leaving this grace that you found. Right, and and he, he's amazed by how quickly it's happened. So that's why we assume that it's not much time after he's gotten back from his journey that he learn, learns about what they are doing. It's shocking to him that they have experienced Jesus. They have experienced the love and the grace of Christ and that they are so quickly leaving that behind. Christianity, it's a marathon. It's not something that we jump into and then we're done shortly afterwards. It's a long-term commitment and it's hard. And there are so many people in this world who jump into Christianity and say, you know, what? I'm trying to get out of it. I'm, I'm, and they run hard for a short period of time and then they falter. Uh, this uh, past couple of weeks have been in Taiwan. And one of the things that the missionary said was this, that a lot of people come to know Christ and they accept him. Uh, and then they realize a couple of weeks later that that this God, all right, it's just another God to them, is not fulfilling the needs that they desire are desiring to have met, and then they leave him. There's so many in the world who are like that, who seek out Jesus as a fulfillment of needs in their lives, and when that fulfillment is not met to their satisfaction, they decide, you know what, it's not worth it. And that is astonishing to me, right? I I hope it's astonishing to you that there are people in the world like this, but there are, and we have to be aware of that. And Paul says here he is astonished that after everything they've experienced, that they would leave so quickly. And so what is going on? I mean, that's the question. We, we jump right into the issue, and, and it's astonishing that they're leaving. What is happening? What is the problem? And unfortunately, uh, we don't really know yet, right? Okay, if we read all of Galatia, we get a, a book of Galatians, we would get an idea of what's happening. But I want us to kind of just walk through it as if we're reading it for the first time, okay? And so we don't really know. The only thing we know is that some people are coming and they're perverting the gospel. Right, this word gospel is, is good news. It's someone who bears and proclaims a message uh, that is great. Right, it was often used of people who were uh, in the, in the uh, Greek world who would come from the oracles and promote a message from the oracles. Right, and Christianity took it to use it as this story of Jesus, of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the salvation that we have in Christ. Right, and so that is essentially what this gospel is. And what's happening is some people are coming and they're changing it. 
All right? it, it's just slight. Okay? They're still talking about Jesus and what he has done, but they're, they're perverting it in a way. They're, they're adding stipulations that don't really need to be there. And there's some groups in our world that have done that, right? All right we, we, can, we can look back in history and go like, oh yeah, that's one group. All right, one group that came to my mind as I was thinking about this was the People's Temple, uh, started by uh, Mr. Jones. All right, and, and he gave this wonderful message that was very appealing to people in the time that he was presenting it. It was a message of inclusion. All right, and yet what ends up happening is he feeds a bunch of people laced Kool-Aid, right? Over uh, 900 people died, 250 of them being children. I, is that the gospel? I mean, we can, we can think about that and we can say, no, that's, that's not what Jesus would have wanted us to do, right? I, it, those things are easy to point out. But what about the people that are in our world that have perverted just slightly and they're a little bit more difficult to point out? What do we do with those? How do we catch that? Right, there are groups that fly under the radar, and so we have to be aware of what the true gospel is in order to be able to say, you know what, that's not quite right. Well, Paul continues uh, verses uh, uh, 8 through 10, all right, uh, 8 through 9 we're going to read. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. All right, and so there's, uh, we turn now, Paul, for Paul, it turns to the character of the people presenting this false gospel. And he, he quotes something, he says, it doesn't matter who they are, all right, they could be an, a messenger from heaven, an angel from heaven. If they tell you a different gospel, they are not right, they are cursed. And so there's some things there. Uh, in that statement that we need to really look at. The first is, reputation does not matter. If someone has a great reputation and they stand before you and they tell you this is how you should live, that doesn't matter who they are. What matters is what they're saying. Their message is what's key. And we have to listen not to the person, but to what is coming out of their mouths. It's important that we focus on that. I had a professor at Lincoln who was uh, quite a bit older than me. And one of the things that he said that I thought was insightful was this, that he said that in his lifetime, there's been many heroes in his life that have failed him. People that he looked up to that uh, over time, some major moral character came out that showed who they really were. And he's been disappointed over and over again by these people. And so you see, a reputation isn't what matters. Someone could look good and could put a front on, but secretly in their, in their closet, there's something very nasty, right? And so what matters is not what, what, who they are, but what they're saying. There are many people in this world who get on TV and who preach the uh, gospel and we have to listen to what they say because even just because they're on TV doesn't mean anything, right? All right? There are many televangelists who present a gospel that's different than what we read in the Bible. And we have to be discerning of that. 
There are many people in this world who will tell you that if you just trust Jesus and you give the church money, or, or in the particular case, the preacher money, if you give me money, you're going to be blessed, all right? And God's going to give you everything that you could ever want, including my, me, I'm going to get my Corvette, right? All right? That's kind of how they present themselves, all right? And this is not what Jesus says, all right? Yes, God says that, that he is going to bless his people, but that doesn't mean that he's going to give us everything that we desire. It doesn't mean that he's going to give me that new Camaro, all right? He's, that's not what he's talking about. He says, though, that he'll be with us. And the problem with the health and wealth gospel is that what do you do with people that get sick? You know, people get sick. Is it because they're unfaithful? I don't think so. What do you do with that? What do you do when life hits you hard? I mean, that's not what the gospel says. Gospel doesn't say life is going to be roses and peaches everywhere, right? Right? Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have troubles. But he also says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And so if we are in Christ, we are going to face hardships. There's going to be times where we don't know when, where the next meal is going to come from. There's going to be times where we don't know if tomorrow is going to be our last day or not. All right? There's going to be times in this world where we do not feel like we can get past it. And yet Jesus is with us. And God promises to be with his people and that he'll be with us every step of the way. It may not be easy, but someday it will be. Someday when we're with Jesus for all of eternity, the pains and the suffering of the world will be nothing. And we hope and long for that day. And so the reputation of the person shouldn't matter. What should matter is what is coming out of their mouths. Are they teaching a gospel? If it's an angel and he's brilliant and he looks amazing and yet he says something that's not according to the gospel of Jesus, don't listen to him. The second thing we're told is that they, whoever does present a gospel that's different than what we find from Paul is that they are to be cursed. And that's an interesting word. It, it means that we're to give them over to God. All right, they're dedicated to him. God's going to take care of them. And so something that I think that we as a church often forget is that the people that pervert the gospel, it's not our job to judge them. All right, God is going to do that. Now, we need to be discerning, and we need to stand up and say, you know what, we probably shouldn't listen to that person, and we shouldn't give them the pulpit to preach from in our churches. All right, we have to be discerning in that way and protect our people and train our people to be discerning as well. But we don't get to judge them. And far too often, we do that. We crucify preachers who present false doctrine rather than trying to come alongside them and say, well, here, listen, this is where you're wrong. We have to have honest conversations with them to bring them back. And I think what we see in Galatia is Paul saying that. Right, Paul is working, and there's times that Paul gets very angry at these people, and he says, you know what, at some point in time, God just has to take care of it. All right, and that's something that we have to be aware of. Uh, the last thing, uh, in verse 10, real quick, Paul says this, 
Uh, he, he, he's talk, he talked about the problem. They're, they're leaving the gospel. Uh, they, they're listening to this perverted gospel, and it's changing how they think they should live. Uh, then he talks about the reputation of the people, and now he's going to talk about the motive of those who are preaching this gospel. And he says this. He says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And a lot of times the people that are perverting the gospel message, they do it to win the approval of men. All right, the gospel is difficult. Right, it's not a message uh, that is readily accepted by everybody. Right, and so when we present the gospel, it naturally divides. Jesus said that he came to not bring peace, but to divide families even. Right, and we have to be aware of that. When we present the gospel, not everyone's going to be accepting of it, and that's okay. Right, it's going to happen. Right, but we are to present the message, and the people that uh, present the message to make everybody look at them and say, what a wonderful person he is, their message is probably not right. The gospel is different. And when we present the pure gospel, we are doing it to please God rather than what anybody else thinks. And so Paul says that the motives behind what we do needs to be for God's sake, not for man's. So we've talked a lot about this gospel, right? All right, so let's make sure that we understand exactly what this gospel is that, Jesus, that Paul's talking about. What is the pure, simple gospel? Well, Paul uh, tells us before, we, we just didn't read it yet, uh, what the gospel is. He gives it very simply in verses uh, uh, 3 through 4, I think. It says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God, the God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That is the gospel in the simplest forms we could say. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins, rescued us from this present age according to the will of God. Three, three very simple things. A lot of times we think that the gospel is this very overly complicated thing, but it's not. It's simple. Jesus came and gave himself for our sins. And this, I think, is the most unappealing thing of the gospel, right? The fact that we have sinned, that we have made mistakes, that we have gone against God's will for how we should live in our lives. Uh, Taiwan, it's a stumbling point. The word for sin in Taiwan means like being guilty of a crime, and in their culture, they just can't, can't grasp that. Right? It's not something that you want to be guilty of. It's a shame upon who you are. And so when you say, are you a sinner, they're going to say, no, I'm not. When we look at our culture and we see that same issue, right? People living the lives how they want to live. And, and when we come and as Christians and say, you know what? That's probably not exactly how you should be living. They instantly say, well, you hate me. Well, no. I just disagree with what you're doing. I don't hate you. But that's where we're at. 
No one wants to admit that what they are doing is wrong. Sin is a part of the message. And, and, and the problem is, is this, is that as a church, uh, we have gotten to the point that we've corrupted the message a little bit, right? Or at least people who represent us as Christians. Standing on the corners of streets, holding up signs, telling everybody how they're going to hell. But that's not the gospel. Right? The gospel is not telling people they're going to hell. The gospel is telling people that though you have sinned, Jesus gave himself for you. The gospel message is not about condemning people. It's about telling people how they can reconnect to God. That's what John 3.16 says, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And in 3.17, for God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The gospel message, I think we focus too much on sin, and it's not the point of the gospel. Yes, the gospel talks about sin, but the gospel message is about Jesus and grace. And I think that's what we have to focus on. doesn't matter what your sin is. It has separated you from God. You're deserving of death, whether, whether, no matter what your sin is, whether you've lied, whether you've stilled, whether you've done murder, whatever it is, you're deserving of death. And Jesus came and he died the death that you deserve to die. He gave himself for your sin. The second thing that we're told is that Jesus rescued us. You know, the thing about sin dividing us from God, separating us from him, it's something that we cannot do to, to reconnect with God. All right, we are completely separated, and there is nothing on our efforts that we can possibly do to be with him. It takes Jesus coming and bridging that gap. He would rescued us from darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of light. Christianity isn't a checklist. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It is all what Jesus has done to save us. And the last thing is that the gospel is according to the will of God. Jesus came because God is not a cruel God. God didn't look at the world and say, well, you're sinners, let's destroy them all. That's not who God is. God looked at the world and he says, I love you. And he sent Jesus to provide a solution to the problem that we had. Everything that Jesus did was, to, was by the will of God to bring us to him. The gospel is simple. We don't have to overcomplicate it. It's the story of how we've messed up and how Jesus has come to fix what we've done. It's a problem of sin in our lives and the evil around us and how Jesus came to solve the sin, to give himself, to rescue us, to bring salvation. And it's a message not just for us who are here in our church pew today. It's a message for the world. And it's a message that we need to have rights, that we need to not corrupt, not give misinformation about. It's a message that we need to present to everyone. Because Jesus died for everyone. Not just me. Not just you. 
but everyone. Let's pray. Dear God, we're grateful for Jesus and his sacrifice, and I pray, God, that in our lives that we will be aware, be discerning of what people are saying, that we will stand for the true gospel that we find uh, in the New Testament, uh, that we will be messengers of that, that we'll share with this world that's hurting and that needs you about the salvation that they can find in you. I pray, God, in my life that I'll have the courage and strength uh, to do that, to share with those who need to know. Thank you again for all that you do in our lives. Amen.